Welcome to my hometown, filled with murder, mysteries, the paranormal, and a fair share of hauntings. This is Local Legends. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Local Legends with Lark Farley. I'm your host, Lark. If you're new here, hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you could join us. A little bit about how this podcast works is every Sunday I share with all of you a story from my hometown, Brown County in Indiana. These stories range from paranormal to local letters written by residents of the town to true crime, just anywhere and everywhere between. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about Moonshine in Brown County, Indiana. So, a little bit about Moonshine. What is Moonshine? Moonshine is a form of whiskey that's made by fermenting sugar and grain. Let's start with like a quick little history, because I myself don't know very much about Moonshine. I didn't know about it. I knew it was a form of whiskey. I knew at one point it was illegal. It's typically homemade. And that was about the extent of my knowledge. So, a little you know, clips from history that I brought for you guys. The earliest known instance of the term moonshine being used to refer to illicit alcohol dates to the year 1785. It was found in a copy of Gross's Dictionary, The Vulgar Tongue. Prior to that, the term moonshine was referred to explicitly in terms of the light of the moon, just like it sounds, moonshine, light of the moon. The term moonshine is thought to have come from the fact that oftentimes illegal alcohol is made by moonlight as a way to avoid detection in the authorities. Now the practice of making moonshine was started in England in the 18th century. For the first 200 years it was made in America, it was not illegal to make. However, the government quickly moved to tax the sale of moonshine and liquor, however, to pay for the debt it owed from the American Revolution. So it wasn't illegal to make at first. The government has a huge debt that it needs to pay off for the war and it sees how successful the business of alcohol is and decides to tax the heck out of it. Now, many farmers depended on moonshine sales as a source of stable income because at this time, the people making and distributing moonshine in particular were farmers. During the Civil War, moonshiners were highly taxed as a way to pay for the war. And as you might guess, the moonshiners didn't like that, and there were a lot of fights and violent uprisings because of it. Then in 1920 came the Volstead Act, a.k.a. Prohibition. So what it means by prohibition is that it was illegal during the time to sell alcohol. So... Prohibition lasted from 1920 to 1933. And during that time, people who were the sellers of moonshine, you would think that they'd be upset by the prohibition, but they weren't. They were actually excited about it because they assumed, and assumed correctly, that the sale and distribution of alcohol would would increase tenfold. And it did. It became the most successful form of business at that time to sell alcohol. Speakeasies popped up, which speakeasies are uh, underground bars where you would have to use a secret code of some form to get in and then be able to sell alcohol because it was illegal. And it became an extremely profitable business until 1933 when the prohibition was repealed. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, we got moonshine, we got the history, which I highly recommend if you have time to just research it. It's, it's so fascinating. There's a lot of 
interesting historical facts relating to moonshine in America and Indiana. So how it ties back to Brown County is during the 1920s, the Appalachian Mountains were an extremely popular place to make and distribute moonshine because there were a lot of hills and mountains and it was easy to hide, hard to get to. There wasn't a large police force and it was extremely rural. I'm not saying that Brown County is like the Appalachian Mountains. Obviously it's not. There's a lot of differences. One of the biggest being is most of Indiana is very flat. Lots of fields, lots of corn. Brown County isn't like that though. Brown County does have a lot of healy terrain. Lots of haulers, as we locals call them, to hide yourself. Lots of luscious forests. An extremely, extremely rural town with a very small police task force, so it was very easy to hide yourself and to make and distribute the moonshine. So Brown County quickly became an extremely popular place to buy, make, sell, and barter for alcohol. Moonshine in particular. Now the moonshiners of Brown County were poor farmers just trying to get by to feed their families during the Great Depression. At that time, even though it was illegal to make and sell alcohol, the making of moonshine had been happening for generations in the hills of Brown County, and many felt an extreme pride in their family history and its ties to moonshine making. So now that we have how it ties into Brown County, I do have a few stories to share with you of people being arrested on moonshine making charges. So the first one is from the Brown County Democrat in an article titled, Looking Back, Brown County's Moonshining Tradition. Fremont Weddell served as our sheriff from 1930 to 1934. This was one of the more well-known cases of moonshining in Brown County, the story I'm about to share with you. On May 19, 1931, Sheriff Weddell went to Alex Mullis' home on Upper Schooner Road to serve a search warrant. He had been suspicious of Alex for some time, but just couldn't catch him in the act or find any of his moonshine equipment. He decided to slip in and surprise him one day in his home. There he found two coffee boilers and lids and one coffee coil that were being used to make moonshine. Alex was arrested for illegal possession of a still for the unlawful manufacture of intoxicating liquor. In his court documents, there was a long list of witnesses. Old Alex Mullis must have been making moonshine and selling it for quite a while. So he had a long list of witnesses to him selling, making, and distributing moonshine. Henry Rose, Joe Robertson, Frank Gentry of Monroe County, John R. Mullis, Harley Sturgeon, Rachel Sturgeon, Marion Adams, Clarence Ains, Burt Bond, Trevi Fleetwood, Dan David, and Oral Bernard and Sam Hoy of Martinsville. On one subpoena alone, several other names were listed, such as Gil Sturgeon, John Allison, Enoch Robertson, and Leatha Robertson. Can we just take a little side note here and say that Enoch and Leatha Robertson had the coolest names? Like, why did they have such cool names back in the 1930s? Okay, anyway, moving on. I don't know if he was a well-liked man or something happened that the evidence wasn't concrete enough, but the final document in the packet had a not guilty slip sign and stamp. It is said that after the trial, the evidence completely disappeared and it was suspected that the old boys on the jury had something to do with it. So he had friends on the jury and they hid the evidence after the trial because he got a not guilty verdict and they just stole all the evidence and ran. That's hilarious. That's amazing. The 1930s were a time to be alive. Alex Mullis was also famous for other things too. Besides being extremely well-liked, big-hearted, and a jovial character, he had a long list of friends. He was a farmer raising hogs and he made staves for barrels and shingles for roofing. He was known as the king of the clapboard makers. That's my next band. 
Like, there you go. Like, I, that's my next band, country album, EP, single, king of the clapboard makers. He was contracted one time to make roofing shakes for the buildings in Shakamak State Park. He was known to outwork anyone else in the business. Alex was also an avid fox hunter. His wife was a former Mandy Fleetwood. There are several Hohenberger photos of him and his family at the Lilly Library on the Indiana University campus in Bloomington. Alex Mullis was a true Brown County, and this was in quotation marks, character. And yes, I think Alex was very much so a character. He, I mean, he's king of the clapboard makers. Uh, apparently king of making moonshine as well, getting a not guilty verdict, and then having all of his evidence conveniently disappear. So Alex, what a guy. He must have had a lot of stories to tell, I'm sure. So that was in 1930s when Alex Mullis had his court hearing. So towards the end of the prohibition. And this next story that I got and found from this genealogy trails website is from 1920. So very, very at the very beginning versus Alex Mullis says it took place at the end of the prohibition. So this took place on December 2nd, 1920. And the sheriff in this story is named Clint Moore. He was given an arrest warrant and commanded to arrest. Now this is... This is the coolest name. Are you ready? Archip A. Serbu. This man has written a book. I know he has. And I want to find it and I want to read it. And it's going to be amazing, I am sure. Archip A. Serbu. John Jackson, George Stanley, and George Shetta. They were all charged with keeping intoxicating liquor to sell, barter, or give away. According to the court paperwork, they were known to have 20-gallon distillers and three 100-gallon batches of raisin mash in their possession. So quick little Google search, raisin mash is a form of moonshine that is made instead of with grain, raisins. Okay, so they made, they made moonshine with raisins. The court papers didn't indicate where the boys had the still or where they lived at the time. Can you really serve someone then if you don't know where the stuff that's incriminating them is? Anyway, it's apparent at least two of them were not Brown County folk. As for Clint Moore, he was born and died in Brown County. He and his wife, Sarah, also owned and operated a restaurant in Nashville for many years. He was a member of Unity Baptist Church and also a member of the Masonic Lodge. So, I, from what I'm reading from this and gathering is, like, they didn't arrest anyone because they didn't have literally any information. It sounds like it was all heresy. Now, with the name Archip A. Serbu, I can almost guarantee you that he was, in fact... Uh, making, distributing, and selling moonshine. That, that is a guarantee. However, you can't just go off that. Like, you have to have some form of proof. And in this story, they didn't. I mean, what you gonna do? And then it sounds like half the men, men mentioned weren't even from Brown County. So you can't serve them in Brown County if they're not from Brown County. So it's just a mess. Whoever, whoever was the court person that, like, got together that, is, you need to be fired. Like, you need to be let go. That, that was a shoddy job. So this next story... It's from July 23rd, 1926. So in the middle of the prohibition. This story is from a well-known photographer. This story is from a well-known photographer, Frank Hohenberger's journal. The case is that of game warden Oliver Neal's arrest of Irwin Mullis for possession of a still. Now, does the name Mullis sound familiar? Yes, it does. It should because apparently the Mullis family just has this love of moonshine making. Because who was the very first story we shared? Alex Mullis. Alex Mullis. Now, I don't know his relationship to Irwin. But Erwin and Alex just, they like to have a fun time. You know the parties at their house were wild. 
So he gets an arrest warrant for Erwin Mullis for possession of a still, and the journal account is as follows. I had been wanting a picture of a real still, and Oliver Neal told me he would let me know as soon as he located a specimen. Wednesday, July 21st, he told me he had a still for me, and we would leave the next morning to photograph it. He and his son Fred called at 6.40 a.m., and we were on our way. We followed the Weed Patch Road to the old building at the crest and then went over past the Old Smith House. It meandered down a very long and winding road to the right for about a mile and a half. Nothing but a Ford could have followed the road. We alighted near an old shed, locked the car, and started along a very narrow path. Followed it for a quarter of a mile and then Oliver darted off the main road. Here, he said, is where I discovered the path to the still. My first clue was some spilled water near the old well. The path wide and one had a limb across it. We stepped the best we could down the steep bank over logs having to care for snakes. When we came to the old resting place, Oliver said, Now don't talk and maybe we can catch the hen on the nest. I'm assuming by that beautifully articulate phrase, they mean the moonshiners making moonshine. A little further on, Oliver must have cracked a limb for he attracted the attention of the operator fixing the fire. He might have seen my light-colored shirt, too, for he started to take his hills through the narrow ravine, and just then, Oliver let go with a round of shots. So he shot at him. I think I hit him in the back, but don't know for sure, he said. He was asked to stop, but said, I can't. Then Fred Fred said, give him another, and we'll help him. Oliver yelled again, but he went on and disappeared in the dense thicket. Oliver said he was Irwin Mullis and that he had been warned. This was still about five rods over the state preserve line. Mullis evidently got home unusually early that morning, and his wife no doubt wondered why. There was still a complete outfit. I brought home an extra coil, and we didn't disturb the outfit at all. Water was carried from about half a mile away from the old well. The water in the well was almost stagnant and dark, with tadpoles playing in it. That was the quality of water used to make the liquor, which I must admit was quite clear after the distillation process went through. The old well was possibly a hundred years old. The weather was unusually hot by the time we got out of the valley. Fred led the procession to the old well with the gun, looking for snakes everywhere. He missed a black one at his heels, which I spied. He made his getaway, and his slippery body was out of striking distance in the twinkling of an eye. There was a bear wallow close by. Oliver was a natural-born detective. John Reddick and Herschel Mobley won a copy of the picture. Others would like blueprints of the outfit. Officers hunted for three hours and couldn't find the still. Oliver helped them find it again and put his hand on it, saying, Boy, this is a still. Fred and Neil, his son, said the operator must have peeled the bark from all the trees in his flight. Dewey Mullis was arrested and gave bond. This is the final outcome of the Mullis court case on July 26, 1926. There were about 35 people in the courtroom. Jones and Rufus Reddick helped on the defense side. The state didn't get all the witnesses in on time. Squire Calvin decided the state had no case. It all lasted about an hour. The crowd remained evidently thinking the liquor would be divided up. So what I liked about that story, other than the beautiful storytelling, was that the people came to watch this case for the sole purpose of hoping that the court, during a time in which selling, drinking, buying, getting, making alcohol was illegal, everyone in that court was there for the sole purpose of trying to get some. That's just hilarious. That's just so funny. Everyone was there. They didn't care about the court. They didn't care about Erwin Mullis. They're like, whatever, dude. We want your alcohol. 
But also, you know, Kurt, you know, kudos to Irwin for making moonshine from a disgusting pond water scum hole of a well and then making the moonshine clear. You know, his distilling of the alcohol seems like it works. If you can take tadpole bathing water and turn it into clear moonshine, you know, clearly he knows what he's doing. So moving on, 1928. This next account is that of the arrest made by Sheriff David Sol Wilkerson, what a name, and Deputy Sheriff Clarence Nub Moore. So I'm going to call them Sol and Nub. So Sol and Nub were sheriff and deputy from 1926 to 1930. And it was said that Nub ruled with an iron fist when it came to the law. When he went out to serve an arrest warrant, he would ride his horse out to the offender's home no matter how far out in the county they lived. Then the subject had to walk all the way back to Nashville with Nub right, right up on that horse leading them back. He had five arrests in 1928 for illegal possession of a still and making or selling of liquor. These were just for the year 1928 alone. So that self-righteous deputy who goes by Nub mind you, thought of himself a real cowboy. He thought he, you know he thought he was so cool. He thought he was just hot stuff, trancing and prancing around Brown County on a horse. And then not only that, he's like, you know what? I'm not even just going to arrest them. I'm going to humiliate them and make them walk miles and miles and miles and miles while I'm on my horse parading around. Yeah, okay, nub. You're a real cool dude, I'm sure. So moving right along. The state versus Philip Ludwig and Russell Morgan for possession of intoxicating liquor. This was in May 24th, 1928. And they did then and there unlawfully possess, sell, barter, exchange, or give away certain intoxicating liquor to wit. Five gallons of white mole whiskey. July 25th, 1928. The state versus George Rush, who unlawfully and feloniously, what a word, have in his possession a certain still and distilling apparatus for the unlawful manufacture of intoxicating liquor. October 15th, 1928. The State vs. Noah and Elma Woods, who unlawfully and feloniously have in their possession a certain still and distilling apparatus for the unlawful manufacture of intoxicating liquor. November 17th, 1928. The State vs. Raymond Stevens, who unlawfully and feloniously have in their possession a certain still and distilling apparatus for the unlawful manufacture of intoxicating liquor. And the last one, November 26, 1928, the state versus Moses Garrett for possession of intoxicating liquor and did then and there unlawfully possess, sell, barter, exchange, or give away certain intoxicating liquor to wit, white mold whiskey. He also had in his, his possession one still and distilling apparatus for the unlawful manufacture of intoxicating liquor. And there we have it. Good old moonshiners in Brown County. I love it. You know, moonshiners... They're people just like everybody else. They're just trying to make money. And, you know, honestly, would we have done any better in the Great Depression? Probably not. It sounds like it was easy to make, effective, people wanted it, and you could get a lot of money for it. That's a lot better than some of the other things you could have done. And as for Sir Deputy Nub, get off your high horse. Ha ha ha, see what I did there. You're not as cool as you think you are, I promise. And as for Alex Mullis, he sounds like a real cool guy. I wish I could find more stories about him because I feel like we could do several episodes of the stories of his life. He sounds like fun, 
Honestly, it sounds fun. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna sit here and lie to you and tell you that it doesn't sound fun. It sounds fun. Moonshine is fun to drink and it sounds like it's fun to make. I had to share those stories with you. It's different from anything we've shared and I like that and it's fun. Hope you had fun. You know, maybe you should be drinking some moonshine right now and re-listen to the episode. It'll get you in the mood more. Next week, we're going into a more serious, depressing, horrific direction, whatever you want to say. We're going to be discussing a hatchet ace. Yes, an attempted hatchet murder. It's as, it's as violent as it sounds. Sprinkle in some racism in there and it's going to be a real terrible time. No, I'm kidding. We're going to break it down. We're going to go through the story. We're going to go through the, the victim. We're going to go through the man involved with the hatchet and the tirade that he went on on the main street of Brown County. And sad to say, guys, this only happened like a few years ago. Yeah, it's pretty current. It's a big story. I remember when it happened and it's terrible and it's awful. So we're going to share that story next week of the hatchet man and then just see where it goes from there. Anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for just supporting the show. I've gotten a lot of new re- uh, listeners recently and a lot of just new comments and support and I really appreciate it and I appreciate you and I hope you have a good day and I hope you enjoy this podcast and this episode and just, you know, have fun out there. Stay safe. Don't drink your moonshine and drive and I'll see you next week. Bye.